Amen. Before we dive in today, I want to share a couple of other things uh, with you. One, uh, if you didn't get one of these when you walked in, uh, get one on the way out. There should be on the tables. It's our holiday schedule and plan for kind of all ministry areas, and it will be very important for you because the holidays, things change. So pay attention to that. You'll be hearing more about those things uh, coming up in the weeks ahead. Uh, Also, uh, if you know her, if you've been around here a while or maybe just a short time, uh, she is one of the people that makes this place a go. But today, actually, November 6th, is Teresa Ball, uh, one of our assistants, my assistant actually, uh, her 16th anniversary here at First Baptist Friendswood. And so we're excited for her. So if, if, you know, if you know T-Ball uh, and you see her around tonight or uh, at Thanksgivers, give her a high five and give her a hug. Tell her thank you for her uh, years of service here. Uh, also, Tuesday is an important day in the life of our country. If you're registered to vote, uh, please do so if you haven't already. Pray for your leaders. Uh, that's a command in the Bible uh, to pray for your leaders. Uh, and also, you get to exercise uh, your right uh, to vote. And then this week is also uh, the day we celebrate veterans. If you walked in the front, you saw our military flags. We thank all the men and women who have served uh, in the military. Yes, we can give them a clap and thank them uh, for their service, uh, for sacrificing uh, for the nation and for us. And so uh, those are important items uh, for you, uh, both socially uh, and uh, spiritually. Uh, Well, imagine Uh, that your best friend's dad, so your best friend's dad, hates you. Just imagine that for a second. When I was a teenager, uh, one of my very good friends, uh, his dog hated me, uh, but I think his parents were okay with me, but his dog sure didn't like me. But but imagine your best friend's dad hated you. And, And to make matters worse, you were married to your best friend's sister, And so that means your father-in-law, not just your best friend, but your father-in-law hates you. Thanksgiving dinners won't be too exciting. Or actually, that might be very exciting uh, for all the wrong reasons. And and so this is the situation that we see in 1 Samuel. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Samuel 20 today. So if you've got a a hard copy uh, of the Bible, we'll be there today, 1 Samuel 20. But, But that's the scene right here. King Saul, who is the king of Israel... Uh, who God has already said, I'm taking your kingdom away from you. Uh, David is going to be the anointed king. Well, David and Saul's son, Jonathan, are best friends. And David is married to Saul's daughter, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L, is that spelling. And, And we've got a real dilemma here. Like, this is a terrible situation, And Jonathan, the son, realizes that his best friend is in serious trouble. Bad, bad trouble. Uh, Dad is angry. Dad is out of his mind. Uh, Dad wants to destroy David. And so David and Jonathan get together and they devise a plan. And, And the plan is to determine how angry Saul is. You ever kind of devise like, okay, maybe your siblings, maybe mom and dad aren't happy with you, any of you, and so you devise a plan that one of you is the sacrificial lamb to determine uh, who is going to like determine how 
How angry are they? Well, this is what David and Saul, Jonathan do. So they make this agreement. They say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, David, you hide in the field. I'm going to go back to the, to the city and I'm going to participate in these ceremonial dinners for the new moon. There was a feast that happened at the new moon. And, and I'm just going to sort of gauge where dad is emotionally. And, and if dad is in a good place, if he's not angry at you anymore, I'm going to bring my servant back to the field and I'm going to shoot an arrow in front of the servant and you'll know. But if dad is really angry and he's out to get you, then I'm going to bring the servant with my bow and arrow and tell the servant to go and I'm going to shoot the arrow past the servant. Who wants to be the servant? Nobody, right? I was like, who wants that job? No, I don't want that job. But that's the plan. It's very odd, but that's the plan. If dad is mad, arrow goes past. If dad is okay, arrow goes before. Okay, that's what we're going to do. So David hides in the field as they make this plan. Before we get to see the results of that plan, all that plan is 1 Samuel 20, the beginning verses, that plan. But I want you to look in 1 Samuel 20 at verse 23. This is just sort of a, a lesson for all time. Look at 1 Samuel 20, verse 23. This is after they've made the plan. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, the plan, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Now, I don't know all of your friends. I don't know your dynamic and friendship. But if one of your friend's dad was trying to kill you, you might say, you know, maybe it's time for us to get some new friends. Maybe it's time to like, hey, peace out. You're the man. Uh, I wish you the best. But that's not what Jonathan and David do here. Uh, Jonathan and David commit themselves one to another, not because they're smart and intelligent because this crazy bow and arrow plan is going to work. No, they commit themselves one to another because they trust God. Because they believe that God established their friendship and nothing is going to get in the way of that. God is going to stay between them forever. And the scripture proves that out. And so they are committed to be loyal to one another no matter what. And they knew that God would protect them. They had confidence in God but they were going to remain loyal to one another. And so just as kind of an opening encouragement for you today, that you and I need to have the right kind of friendships and friendships that are grounded in faith endure. They endure. If you have a friendship that is grounded in faith, that friendship should endure because both of you are committed not just to each other, but you're committed to God. And you trust that God is going to work out whatever it is. They, they trusted that God was going to work out this crazy, weird, chaotic, dysfunctional situation. 
And you and I have crazy, weird, dysfunctional, chaotic situations all the time. Maybe not to this degree of life and death, but we do. And to have friends around us that are grounded in faith that put their trust and hope in Christ like we do is vitally important. And so just an encouragement to you today to surround yourself with friends of faith because when those friendships are founded in faith, they will endure through thick and thin. And so let's see what happens after this great plan that David and Jonathan have devised. How will Saul respond to his own son, Jonathan, when David doesn't show up for dinner? So let's look at verse 24. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul didn't say anything that day for he thought something has happened. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, The day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. My brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I've found favor in your eyes, let me go away and see my brother's. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established." Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. I think we know where Saul stands. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because, of his father had, because his father had disgraced him. Now this scene is rather interesting. It's kind of, you know, Maury Povich-esque. If you watch that show, I don't, but you know what it's, <laughs> oh, I didn't say the name and you know exactly what it is. So David doesn't show up to this first meal, this ceremonial meal of the new month. He doesn't show up. Saul doesn't think anything about it because perhaps David was unclean in some manner and you weren't allowed to eat the meal if you were unclean. So no big deal the first day. Surely there's a real reason for David not being there. But then David doesn't show up on the second day either. Something's got to be wrong. And now Saul, as he's sitting at the dinner table, of course, it goes into great detail about how he's sitting, right? He's sitting with his back to the wall so he can face everybody. And some of you do the same thing when you go into a restaurant. 
like back to the wall. It's the safest spot in the room. And you think someone in Friendswood League City is going to attack you like the old West. And so you're going to sit with your back to the wall facing the door. Now that was probably true of Saul. Uh, He had plenty of enemies, but he's angry now. He's frustrated. He's concerned. Why is David not here? But he doesn't say, why isn't David here? He says, where is the son of Jesse? From this point on in scripture, Saul never calls David by name. He calls him by other things like the son of Jesse. And so Saul questions his son, Jonathan, and Jonathan tells him this story. Is the story true? No, it's not. No trick questions here today. The story is not true. Where is David? Is he in Bethlehem? No, he's in a field outside of town. And so this creates a little bit of a theological dilemma for us because Jonathan doesn't tell the truth to his dad. What have we been always told to do to our parents? Tell the truth, right? Tell the truth. Students, parents, tell the truth. Well, here's the the challenge here. God has made it very clear through the previous chapters that Saul is God's enemy. He's removed his presence from Saul and he is the enemy of God. And so the enemy of God does not get an advantage. The enemies of God do not get an advantage because Saul and Jonathan and David realize that they're in a battle not a, not a physical battle, even though spears have been thrown a number of times. They're not in a physical battle. They're in a spiritual battle with the king. And they're not going to give the king, who is the enemy of God, an advantage in this battle for the nation of Israel. And so Jonathan tells Saul what he needs to hear. But that ignites Saul's anger. Maybe for the first time, Jonathan is experiencing his, son, his father's anger. And he uses three things to kind of connect with Jonathan, which is the same thing that people use against us when they're angry at us, they're mad at us, when maybe you're mad at somebody else. These are the things that you use. He does his best to shame Jonathan You're not my son. No, you're a son of this perverse, rebellious woman. Parents, have you said, uh, go talk to your daughter? That's what he's doing here. Same thing. That's what he's done. He's trying to shame Jonathan into disappointing his mother. It's your mother. And And then he sort of ramps it up a little bit to guilt And he throws poor mom in there too, a rebellious, perverse woman. Like, hey, I'm happy to be married to you too. But he tries to guilt Jonathan that you've disgraced our family, that because of you, now your mom is also this rebel, this rebellious person because of you. Shame and guilt are great tools that others use, great tools that the enemy of God uses to try to get us to change. And then he appeals to Jonathan's sort of stature and we might even say greed. This is the one thing that he says is true. 
He says, as long as David, the son of Jesse, is alive, you'll never have a kingdom. That is true. That's the one thing he says that's true. You'll never get what you really deserve as long as that guy's alive. He appeals to his sense of greed and selfishness. You won't have a kingdom because of him. These are the things that the enemy uses against us. People who are against us and not for us, these are the things they use. Because guilt, shame, greed, or any of the other selfish motivations, those are not from God. Those are from the enemy. And if you're in a relationship, you're in a situation where people are constantly guilting you and shaming you and telling you how you're not good enough, that, that's not from God. Now, if your life is full of sin, then the Lord should be convicting you. That guilt is real. But, but if you're living life and every time you turn around, someone is filling you full of guilt, those are not from the Lord. And so what Saul does is he orders his own son to go and get his best friend to bring him back so that his dad can kill him. Can you imagine that scenario? Like, really? So, so what do you do? There's a sense of, of family involvement. Sort of blood is thicker than water, right? But the blood of Jesus is thicker than all of that. And, and Jonathan and David had made this commitment to the Lord and to each other. And here, their enemy, Saul, is asking them to do this. And so rather than obey his dad, he asked his dad two important questions. Two important questions. The truth will set you free, ladies and gentlemen. It's always great to stick with the truth and to know the truth. The reality is Jonathan knew the truth. He knew the truth of what God's word had said about him and about his dad. And so we asked these two what you might think are pretty innocent, like common sense kind of questions. Like, why would we put David to death? That's a logical question. What has he done wrong? Another logical question. But there's a very important underlying truth that's found in the Old Testament, the reason why Jonathan asked the question. King Saul, as king, is actually the final authority on the Torah, the law, the laws of the land. He's the final enforcer of the Torah. And the Torah says that you cannot execute an innocent person. Exodus 23 for all you Bible scholars. You want to look at it later. You cannot execute an innocent person. So Jonathan's question is very important. It's very important for us to know the truth. Because when you have the truth, you're armed with all you need. So he's indicting his own father, even in that moment, to say, Dad, you're not living the truth and you're not carrying out the position that God has placed you in. You're not exercising your authority in a God-honoring way, which you are called to do as the king of Israel. And so when you get in these situations, when you get in challenging moments, chaotic moments, and your friends need defending, let me encourage you to defend your friends with the truth. Not with feelings, not with emotion, not with I thinks, 
No, with the truth. Defend one another with the truth. Because the truth will set you free. It'll set them free. It'll bring everything to light in the proper way. And Jonathan is going to defend his friend David with the truth. And because Saul is no longer God's representative, in his anger, he throws a spear at his son. So tonight at Thanksgivers, no weapons, people. <laughs> okay? <laughs> We're going to just all be happy and hang out together and enjoy some pumpkin pie and turkey, okay? But can you imagine the dinner table? What's Abner thinking? Like, whoa, settle down. Threw a spear at his own son. And so Jonathan gets up, goes off because he knows that Saul wants to kill David. And so he grabs his servant. Hey, go, go out, take off. Like I imagine like running a pass route in football, except you don't want to catch it right in this situation. So he fires the arrow past the servant, which is David's clue. Uh-oh, big trouble. Saul is out to get me. He, he's ready for me. And so they come together. He comes out of hiding and the two of them uh, embrace and they begin to weep and cry over the situation and the heartache and the pain. I, I don't know, maybe when you, as you were growing up, um, you had a, a great friend who lived next door or across the street or somewhere in the neighborhood and, and you were best of friends. And then all of a sudden, sometime, you know, in late elementary or, or middle school, they moved. It was just heartbreaking. Well, a thousand times that is what this is. That, that my dad is trying to kill my brother-in-law. And this moment could be the last time that I see my brother-in-law. This is the last moment when we'll have any semblance of a relationship. This is the last moment, I don't know how much longer he might live if dad gets his way. Can you imagine the heartache and the emotion and the struggle of the moment? How deeply grieving this is. And so they're weeping, they're, 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 they're beyond uncontrollable. And, and then as, as was culturally common back then, we don't practice this much here, but uh, as, as they begin to depart, they kiss. And, and then verse 42 kind of tells us sort of the, the, the culminating moment uh, of this event is verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Can you imagine you're not sure if your dad is going to kill your best friend and your response to him at the very end as you go your separate ways is go 
in peace. Go in peace. How, does, how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you manage that? I, I, I'm on the run. I'm running for my life, but go in peace. Well, David and Jonathan knew that there's only one author of peace, the Lord Almighty. There's only one author of peace, not a religious leader, not a political leader, not best friends. No, there's only one author, the Lord himself. And David and Jonathan had put all of their hope and their trust in him. And they knew that their bond uh, as friends was founded in him and him alone. And so even in the midst of chaos, dysfunction, murderous attempts, anger, the peace of God could be present. And so I want to encourage you today that wherever you are, the peace of God can still be found even if you're in a desperate situation, even if you're in struggle, even if you're in turmoil, even if you're hurting and in pain. The God of peace will be right in the middle of that. The New Testament encourages us that, that when you and I make our request known to Jesus, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. And so wherever you are today, maybe your family dynamic is a little crazy and Thanksgiving is not something you're looking forward to, Maybe you have a work situation where it's just chaos and turmoil all the time, like every moment is just a headache. Maybe there's a relationship in your world that used to be wonderful and now has gone south, like Saul and Jonathan's. Let me remind you that God is there for you to fill your life with peace but we have to trust him. We have to lean on him. We have to ask him for that peace. We have to go to him and say, Lord, in the midst of chaos, I need you to bring calm to me. I need your peace in my life. And may I be a person of peace wherever I go. That's what David and Jonathan sought and they had it as friends. And that's what God calls us to do to lean on him, the author of peace. Will you pray with me?